Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, that we have the ability to come into your house this morning and worship you, to sing songs, to praise your holy name. And Father, to get into your word and have fellowship and to rub shoulders and to see each other and to talk with each other. God, we so need that. And we thank you, Lord, that we're doing that this morning. That, Father, we're going to leave here this morning refreshed. Knowing, Lord, from your word, from Genesis chapter 4, hopefully everyone will know, if they heed your word, that they'll be going in the right way. They'll be making the right choices, going the right way. Going the way, following your way, Father. The, the way of Abel and not the way of Cain. So, Father, thank you for this morning worship. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us, lead us, guide us, and direct us as we, to, as we continue to worship and looking into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. It's good to see you guys this morning. Everybody doing well? Good, 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 good. I am, man, just so excited. I, I, get, I, get, I get more and more excited each week as I'm going through Gen Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> I said last month, I said last week that we're looking at a couple months. It might be longer than that. Lord willing, we're going to go as the Lord leads us, and we're going to pull from the deep truths of Scripture. But turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read one verse. That's verse 4. And then we're going to shift over to Genesis chapter 4, where we'll spend the rest of the morning studying God's word uh, verse by verse. But if you're there, say I'm there. Okay, I heard, some, I heard a, good, a good amount of theirs. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, in our verse by verse study of Hebrews chapter 11. The scripture says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Wow. Now, if that was all we knew, it would be one thing. But we have a whole entire half of a chapter back in Genesis chapter 4. So now turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at what the Bible says about Cain and Abel. You see, our world, we live in a world of choices. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you make choices every single day. I was reading in psychology today, and this blew my mind, but I'm going to throw it out there. That's what they said. And I was like, wow, that's a big number. But according to psychology today, uh, every, most people make around 35,000 decisions a day, or 35,000 choices. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a high number. That's what they said, though. So I'm not going to argue with the pros. I'm not going to argue with the smart folks. That's what they said. Yesterday, I went to Lowe's and I needed an air compressor. And you go down the aisle, and guess what? I got 10 air compressors. So I have to make a decision. You know, but we make choices and we make decisions every day. So I looked through there, I looked at the prices, I looked at the, um, the volume, the capacities, and I chose me one. And then I left there and I went to a really nice store because today is me and Irene's 23rd wedding anniversary. So, so, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I, I can't say where I was at or what I was looking at because the, the system is, is piping it into the children's ministry. You still hear this. <laughs> but I'm sitting there at the store, and I'm looking at all these things, and I'm like, oh, gosh, which one would she like? You know? 
And I had a decision. I had a choice I had to make. But my point is, we make choices every day. We make decisions every day. And hopefully, um, I'll find out tonight if I made the right choice. <laughs> but but, um, but uh, the most important, I want to talk to you this morning about the most important choice. And the most important choice I present to you this morning is to ask you this question. Are you going man's way or God's way? Because in the grand scheme of things, that's the only two ways in life. To, to, to cut it down from 35,000 decisions. Oh my goodness, am I making 35,000 right decisions? That, that's too hard for the mind to comprehend. So I'm going to help you help myself as I did myself and narrow it down to two choices. Are we going man's way or God's way? Because there's only two paths. Which way are you following? Which way are you going? And we see this principle displayed and laid out in the life of Cain and Abel. So hopefully you're at Genesis chapter 4, and in our verse-by-verse study, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and see man's way and God's way, we're going to, and we're going to see the outcomes. And I'm going to show you this morning how important it is to choose God's way and not go the way of man. So let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. We'll look at the first two verses. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just introduced you to the first two human beings born on earth. Because Adam and Eve were created by God. But Cain and Abel came as a result of uh, Adam and Eve coming together as husband and wife and having children. And what we see here in the text is Cain represents, represents uh, man's way. Abel represents God's way. Cain is an example of um, walking in the flesh. Uh, Jude gives us a, a bit of information about Cain. Jude 11 in the New Testament says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So the New Testament associates Cain with false teachers. And what were the false teachers doing? They were thinking they could approach God on their own terms. And as you know, you cannot approach God on your own terms. You have to approach God. You have to follow God. You have to serve God on his terms. His, ter- his terms <coughs> and his ways. Abel, on the other hand, he represents God's way. He, he represents a life of worship. He represents a life of faith. He represents a life of obedience. Abel, my friend, is a good example for you and I to follow, whereas Cain, you know, we need to observe his life, see what he did, and learn from him that this is not how to live. Let's follow God's way, the way that Abel went, and not the way that Cain went. And and what do we? And, and it's important to note here that at verse two, they have two different uh, careers, if you want to call that, two different jobs. Abel was a, a keeper of the flocks. He took care of the animals, and Cain was the farmer. He was the tiller 
of the ground. Let's continue at verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, brought of the firstlings of his flocks and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So again, we have Cain going man's way, Abel going God's way. Cain gave the fruit of the ground. He brought an offering from the ground, which is biblical and from the Old Testament. We find that happening. And then we have Abel, it says uh, specifically in here, he brought the key word there in, um, in verse 4, is he brought the firstlings of his flocks, or the fat portions. And Cain's offering is rejected. Abel's offering is accepted. Why? Why? Because we see both of these in the Old Testament. We see grain offerings, fruit offerings, land offerings. We see uh, animal sacrifices. Why was Cain's rejected and Abel's accepted? I want to give you three reasons. Three reasons why I believe the text says that um, Cain's was rejected. Number one, uh, Cain's offering, he was not giving his very best. He was not giving his very best, and Abel was giving his very best. If you notice in verse 3, all the text says, just plain and simple, word for word, uh, the text says, it says, Cain brought an offering. Cain brought an offering. It doesn't say what kind of offering, a special offering, a, a first fruits offering. It just says Cain brought an offering. But the author, uh, Moses, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, look at what he says about Abel's offering in verse 4. It says, Abel on his part brought of the firstlings of his flock in their fat portions. In other words, Abel was given his very best. Uh, Cain was not. In the Old Testament, you have this thing called the, the first fruit offering. You ever heard of that phrase? You ever heard that word mentioned in church and in a Bible class and a Sunday school class? The first fruit offerings is when, is when you gave God your very best. Whether it was your firstborn child, your crops, your wealth, your possessions, your talents, whatever you have to give to the Lord, you always gave him the first fruits. You always gave him the very best. The concept of first fruits simply means you give God the very best of what you have. And you don't give him the leftovers. Cain did not give him his very best. Or at least, at a minimum, we could say that Cain gave him his leftovers. God does not want our leftovers. God wants our very best in everything in life. In our witness, in the way we live our lives, in our offerings, in, in every aspect. In serving him and in, 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 in being a, a, a committed believer. He wants the very best. He wants our very best. And Cain did not give his very best, whereas Abel did give his very best according to, um, it says Cain brought an offering, nothing special about it, but verse 4 says Abel brought the firstlings. The second reason that I would present to you this morning that um, Cain's was rejected and Abel's was accepted, and you probably heard this one uh, many times in Sunday school, is Cain's offering had no blood. Abel's offering had blood, had a sacrifice. Uh, Cain's offering did not address 
his greatest need. And his greatest need, above all things, is a way to find forgiveness, a way to atone for his sins. It would be like, it would be like this. It would be like an unbeliever coming in the church today and saying, hey, I want to give y'all a financial gift. I, I want to bless y'all. I want to help y'all. But they ignore the sacrifice of Christ. They ignore the sacrifice that he made. And friends, God doesn't, God doesn't see it that way. You, you have to understand that when we approach God, we approach him in the, in, in, in the aspect of Christ dying on the cross for our sins. You and I are able to approach a holy, infinite God because of the death and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we approach him. And even in the Old Testament, they had to have atonement. A sacrifice had to be made. So we see Cain, no blood. Abel's sacrifice had blood. The third reason I present to you that uh, Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted was their heart, their heart, where their heart was. You see, Cain's heart was corrupted by sin. It was corrupted by self. It was just, it was completely, he was completely corrupt on the inside. Whereas Abel, the Bible says, he was walking in faith. And those are two totally opposite spectrums in, our, in serving the Lord. Walking in rebellion, walking in disobedience is, is, is not the way to go, but the way to go is to walk in faith, to walk in obedience. I'm going to give you two verses that illustrate these principles in the lives of Cain and Abel. And they, again, they come from the New Testament. The New Testament fills in perfectly. It gives us insight into these guys from the Old Testament. But uh, a corrupted heart, Cain, uh, John says in 1 John 3, 11 through 12, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then what does it say? Not as Cain, the guy we're talking about this morning, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For this reason, for what reason did he slay him? There it is, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So there was this corruption. There was this corruption in Cain that kept him from doing the right thing. He was holding on to his sin. He was holding on to his rebellion. He was holding on to his thinking that he could do it his way and not God's way. And that's always a corrupt way, okay? On the other hand, Abel, who walks by faith, is an example for you and I. It says in Hebrews 11.4, a verse we opened up with, another New Testament verse, given us insight into the Old Testament, says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts through faith, though he is dead, still speaks. Do you see the two words in there, in that verse? It says, how did, how did Abel offer to God a better sacrifice? The two opening words, by faith. By faith. And then at the end of it, God testifying about his gifts through what? Through faith. Faith is the key to pleasing God. Faith, as we talked about last week, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. You must, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And Abel had faith. He had faith. He had obedience. He had trust. 
And he was following, he was following the Lord. He had faith. On the other hand, though, Cain's heart was corrupted. The Bible says that we are to guard our hearts. For, for out of it, out of the abundance of the heart, the, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. You know, sin, corruption, uh, being rebellious, it always starts in the heart. It always starts in the heart, and it works its way out. And we've got to be careful to guard our hearts, to protect our hearts, to walk by faith and, and not by sight, and to trust in his word. And we're to constantly, throughout the whole Christian life, to be building our faith and making our faith strong and making our faith solid so we can be like Abel and please the Lord and not like Cain. So I present to you, there's, there, there, there's only two ways. Which way are you going? Cain on the left, Abel on the right. That's the two paths, not 35,000 decisions you got to worry about as we talked about. These are the three big ones that you must decide what you're going to do with your life when it comes to the Lord. Are you going to be like Cain and walk in rebellion? Are you going to be like Abel and walk in faith? Cain ignored the sacrifice or disregarded the sacrifice that a sacrifice had to be made for his forgiveness. Whereas on the other hand, Abel, he trusted in the sacrifice. My friend, that's the bottom line of Christianity is that you as a believer are not trusting in yourself for salvation, but you're trusting in Jesus' work at the cross. That's the sacrifice. You don't trust in the, the, I'm giving the sacrifice of my life. I'm laying my life out on the altar, which is a good thing to do according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But we don't trust in the sacrifice. We trust in, in the sacrifice of us giving our life to Christ. We trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us at the cross. His blood shed for our, the forgiveness of our sin. And then this is a big one. This is a big one. Like Cain, many people, they give God nothing. Or at, or at best, maybe what's left over. Or like Abel, we give our very best. God wants you to give him your very best. Not what's left over. Your very best in your life. You're, 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 you're the utmost for his highest. The highest loyalty that you should have in your heart should be the loyalty you have to serving Christ Jesus and being obedient to him and serving him and, 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 and loving him and not considering Bible studies and prayer and going to church and all the things that we do as Christians. Don't consider them secondary, but put an emphasis on those things. Put a priority on those things. Because it's, it's when we gather, like we're gathering right now, that this is when you're built up. This is when you're strengthened. When you're hearing God's word explained and taught. You know, my, my job is to read it, explain it, and exhort from it. So that your faith can be built up. And you can be like Abel, and you can go the, God's way instead of man's way. Which way are you going this morning? Which way are you going this morning? Are you walking by faith? Are you trusting in the sacrifice? And are you giving your very best? Are you giving your very best? Why do I got to give my very best, Pastor David? 
because Jesus gave his very best for you. That alone, that alone seals the deal for me. He went to the cross for me. He suffered a humiliating, uh, torturous death at Calvary so that I could be forgiven of my sins. And my thoughts and my heart is, Lord, you did all that for me. I can give my life to you. I can serve you. So which way are you going this morning? Man, let's go God's way. Let's not go the way of man. Let's, let's, let's follow from the principles of Abel and his life. And let's serve the Lord with all of our hearts, walking by faith, trusting in the sacrifice, and always giving our very best. But here, back in the text, back in the historical setting of Genesis chapter 4, we have a problem. The problem is Cain has a rebellious heart. Cain is bent on doing what's wrong. His heart is corrupt. He's rebelling. So what does God do with an individual this corrupt and this rebellion. Well, let's take a look at it. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Hey, dude, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Here it is, guys. I believe right here in this verse we're fixing to read, God is offering Cain grace. He says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You know, so what does God do to this, you know, what, 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 do we deserve, what do we deserve when we rebel? We deserve God's judgment. But what does God give us? He gives us grace. He gives us grace, and he gives us an opportunity to repent before we suffer the ultimate consequences. He gives all men an opportunity to repent and receive grace. Ezekiel 33, 11 in the Old Testament says, Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? That's Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord is not, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but his patience towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I prefer, I offer men grace to turn from their evil ways, to turn from their wickedness, and turn back to me and live. That is God's way. He specializes in grace. He specializes in forgiveness. He specializes in making our hearts clean and making us pure. But when we reject that grace and we reject his kind offer of salvation, there's only one thing left, and that's judgment. We do well. The world does well to embrace his grace. He offers us, he offers all people, the whole world, forgiveness of sin, but they got to repent. They've got to turn from their evil ways, turn from their wicked works, and turn to his son, Jesus Christ. That's what will fix the world today. That's what will get us back on the right path, is that we choose God's way and not man's way. But let's look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. I want to break this one down because there's a lot of uh, great phrases in here that I, I want you to see in uh, 
Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Let's look at it. He says, he says, if you do well, if you do well. In other words, God is saying, Cain, come to your senses. Cain, make the right decision. Cain, repent. Turn from that. Turn to me. I will give you a new heart. He says in verse 7, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, will you not receive relief for your soul? Will you not experience freedom and grace from the guilt of your sin? Will you not experience joy? Will your countenance be lifted up? How is our countenance lifted up? When we turn from our wicked ways, when we forsake the old life, and we turn wholeheartedly to Christ Jesus. That's how our countenance is lifted up. You see, as, as, you, live through, as you live life and you live in a lifestyle of sin, what you're doing on the inside is you're building up weight. You're building up guilt. And it doesn't go away. You know, you're haunted by it in your mind. You're haunted by it in your soul. You're haunted by it when you think about the things of God and you think about the things of eternity. And God says, if you come to me now, I will remove that. I will take that off of your heart. I will give you relief from the guilt. I will remove the sin. I will give you joy. I will lift you up. And he says in verse 7, if you do not do well, I like this. He's going to personify uh, sin. Interesting. In verse 7, he says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Many believers, they don't start the day thinking, today I will rebel. They fall into sin when their guard is down. That's when we fall, guys. That's when a lot of Christians fall. They don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to go rebel against God today. That's not how it works most of the time. Most of the time, their guard is down, they're living life, sin confronts them, and, and, they, and they fall prey to, the, to temptation. You see, sin is the enemy of our soul. Sin destroys life. Sin separates man from God. How do we conquer it? By making a decision to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ and following God's way and not man's way. And it, it says, the sin is crouching at the door. It's kind of like, it's basically saying sin is behind the ledge and, and it's, it's waiting for you to come around the corner. And when you least expect it, when your guard is down, it's going to jump out and it's going to tempt you. That's what he's saying there. And he says it's, it's desire is for you. And, and it's interesting that he's, he, he's personifying sin, but the point is not that sin has a personality or, or a being of itself that's not what he's saying. But what he's talking about here in the passage is the power of sin, the power of temptation. You know, we, we, we as Christians, we're, we're prayed up, we're in the word. But sometimes, man, sin will just come in and it'll blindside us. It'll blindside us and deceive us in the moment. And we have a momentary lapse of judgment. And then that momentary lapse of judgment, it causes us to fall away. It causes us to fall and what you and I need to do to prevent that is to keep our guard up, to protect our heart, to be in the word, to be in prayer, to be yielded to the spirit. That's how we protect ourselves. 
And then he finishes up verse 7. The, uh, I can't, can't miss out on this phrase here. At the end of verse 7, he says, you must master it. You must master it. In other words, you must beat it into subjection. You must send it away. You must repent. You must run from it. You must surrender to Christ Jesus. And not that we have the power in and of ourselves to, to break free from sin, but when we take our life and we surrender to you, and we say, God, I surrender to you, I surrender to your lordship, Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit works through us, and it gives us the ability to, to master those old habits and those old temptations. You know, we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. We have to delight ourselves in his word. We have to delight ourselves in his presence. We have to pray for the, the fellowship of the Spirit in our life as we spend time with him. And he gives us the ability to master it. You know, time and time again throughout my entire life, when I first became a Christian, I think about those sins that he broke off instantly. Not all of them fell off, though. And I still brought some struggles into the Christian life. But through discipleship, through accountability, through faithful attendance to church, through getting in the Word, through building relationships with other godly men, the Lord used those things to set me free and enabled me to master it. And that's how we master it, is we run from it. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Wow. Do you realize this? And if y'all know if you ever looked at it this way, but the first human being ever born murdered someone. Sin entered through Adam and Eve's rebellion and disobedience and it didn't take very long for the consequences of their action for the full on fall for the depravity of man to, to set in where, where Cain murders his brother Abel why do we see this today there's, there's some heartbreaking stories out there of people being murdered over the past week two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, past couple of months. This has been heavily intensified by all the rioting and all the turmoil that our country's in. Why are people killing each other? Why are people doing this heinous crime? It breaks our hearts, but, 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 but it begs the question, why are they doing this? Jeremiah 17.9 says, talking about all men, all people, including you and me, all of us, the whole world, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? It's, it's that deep-seated rebellion, that fallen nature within all man that came from Adam and Eve. That's how we look at it in the world and we understand it. That sin, that rebellion, that even murder and all the evil acts, they came from the fall you know you see it's not a political it's not a political issue it's not a political issue at all it's not a skin issue it's a sin issue it's a sin issue no political party has the solution 
No new law has the solution. No new organization has the solution. The Republican Party doesn't have the solution. The Democratic Party does not have the solution. There's only one solution, and that is God's way. And that is the word. That is the gospel. That is the, 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 all these other fixes are just band-aids. And instead of putting a band-aid on the problem, what we do is we need a heart change. Is, is people need a heart change, and that comes by becoming a Christian, by, by choosing to go God's way and not man's way. All that murder, all that evil, all the crime, all of it is part of man's way. And we need to reject it, condemn it, and say it's wrong, and say, hey, guys, let's go God's way, because God's way is the right way. It, it has the solution. Unfortunately, though, in our world today, our government, you know, through the separation of church and state, you know, it's almost like they shut the door, and, 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 and they, they've closed the door to the way getting in, to, to the way, God's way, getting into our culture through his word. And what we need to do as a church is we need to open that door. We need to open that door in our neighborhoods. We need to open that door in our schools. We need to open that door in our communities and say, hey, guys, there is a right way to go. There is a way we can right this ship in our country, and that is telling people of God's way and telling people of the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling them about the good news that Christ will come into their life and forgive their sins and give them a right way to live. He is the only solution. But here, the very first, there it is. The very first heinous crime in the Bible, and it didn't take very long for it to happen. In Genesis chapter 4, where Cain slays his brother. It's interesting that it says, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came out when they were filled. In other words, there was some deception there. Cain's heart was corrupt, as I said a while ago. He went to talk to his brother in the field, maybe to reason with him, maybe to talk with him, maybe to, we, don't, we don't know, we don't know, I'm only speculating. But that conversation turned into a murder in the field, and he killed his brother. When you follow man's way, and you allow sin free reign, there's only one path to go when you open that door, and that's man's way. So verses nine, <coughs> verses uh, nine through sixteen, we're going to see a tragic path, the way that Cain goes. Some people call this the way of Cain, but this, in verses nine through sixteen, this is the pathway of Cain. This is the pathway of man. This is what happens when you choose to go man's way instead of God's way. Let's look at it. Verses nine through sixteen. He says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? This, this tells us where Cain's heart is. Cain's heart, even after the murder of his brother, he does not care. Why does he not care? Because his heart has become hardened. Remember I, I talked about the slide a while ago, the heart condition of having, having, having faith in God and trusting in the Lord versus a hard heart filled with sin. Well, this is, Cain, is, he's narrowed in, he's, he's settled, he's focused, and he's going the way of Cain. He's going the way of man. 
and his heart is hardened. And the same thing can happen to you and I when we reject the voice of the Spirit. Even as a believer, even as a Christian, we let sin into our lives. The Holy Spirit comes in and knocks on the door and says, hey, you need to repent. You need to go ask for forgiveness. We reject that. The Spirit comes again, reminds us of a sin, shows us sin in our life, tells us to repent. And what happens over time, after that happens the first time, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, oh no, our hearts become hard. Our hearts become hard. And we can't do that because it takes us away from the Lord. We can't harden our hearts. Then he says in verse 10, he says, He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. Again, family, there's consequences for our actions. There's consequences for sin. And it's as if every time, when I look at verses 10 and 11, uh, where he says, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then in verse 11, he uses that same phrase again. Now you are cursed, here it is, from the ground. It's as if, it's as, as if it's saying, every time Cain works the ground, he's going to be reminded. He's going to be reminded of his sin. See, the way of Cain, guilt never goes away. Guilt never goes away, and it just builds up in our heart, and, and, and it hardens. And we don't want to ever get to that place. As a believer, as, as, as a believer, we don't want to ever get to the place. We want to keep a soft heart, an open heart, that the Holy Spirit can use our life and bring correction when needed. But he's hardening his heart. And people do the same thing when they hear the gospel and they reject it. When, when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they say, no, I don't want it. You know what they did? They just put one layer of hardening and each time they hear the gospel, if they choose to reject it, they put another layer and then another layer. And it gets more and more dangerous as they go throughout life hearing the gospel and rejecting it time after time. Because there gets to a point where the heart is, so, heart is so hard that they will not listen. And that's an important point for you and I to remember that when we present the gospel, man, we need to present the truth. You know, we don't come with some soft, seeker-sensitive message, Jesus will make your life better. We come to them and we say, you know, in, in a spirit of love and a spirit of grace, you know, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And check this out. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And don't be afraid to talk about sin. Don't be afraid to talk. You know, use yourself as an illustration. Man, when I'm witnessing to someone, I say, hey, man, uh, the one verse I disagree with in the Bible where Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. No, you're looking at the chief of sinners. But we talk about sin. We talk about the cross. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about being born again. Because we want that message to go deep in the heart and grab hold of the person. We don't want to give them a soft, seeker-sensitive, light, Christianity light message. Because chances are they'll reject it. Give them the truth. The truth will transform them. The truth will change them. But back to verse 11. The guilt does not go away. And then he says there in verse 12, he says, when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength. You will be a vagrant 
and a wanderer on the earth. It says you will no it will no longer yield its strength to you. You know, when we harden our hearts and, and we rebel against the Lord, it affects everything in our life. It, it affects our family. It affects our spiritual life, number one, but it affects our family. It affects our work. It, it affects the way we live. It affects everything. But the most important thing if, I believe it affects is look at the end of verse 12. It says, you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. A vagrant is someone without a home, someone that just wanders aimlessly in life. And that's what happens when a person rejects the gospel, when a person walks away from the God. Spiritually speaking, they may have it all together physically, but spiritually speaking, they are wandering aimlessly through life. They don't, know the, they don't even know the reason they're here on this earth. And that reason is to serve Christ. And, and we're not called to wander aimlessly. We're called, the New Testament says, we're to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and, and trust in him. And live life with purpose. And not wander aimlessly. At verse 12 says, in verse 13 he says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This is another consequence of, of hardening our heart, of going the way of Cain, of following after man, going man's way, <clears throat> and not God's way. And that is the mental anguish. There is mental anguish for the person who doesn't know Christ because they have, they have all these issues in their life and they don't know where to go, who to talk to, or how to find help. So it produces a mental anguish, and that's what Cain is going through. A mental anguish, um, a torment of soul is what happens. You know, we wonder why um, the suicide rates are, are so high in our land and, and the depression is, is so high in our land. It's very tragic. It's very sad that people have to suffer through those things. But I know one thing that will fix it. I know one thing that will, that will help a person come out of suicide, come out of depression, come out of this place of, of being crazy in their mind and in their heart, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and being born again. You know, not only does God minister when you become a believer, not only does God minister to our hearts by giving us the Holy Spirit and being born again, but I believe the Holy Spirit ministers to even to our mind. He ministers to our mind. He ministers to our hearts. It starts in the heart, okay? You know, when, it, when a person be, is a believer, he deals with the heart first and getting you in a right relationship with him through the cross. But then after that heart is fixed and that heart is in the right place, then he says, let's work on the, let's, let's work on the other areas of your life. Let's work on your mind. Let's work on the way you live your life. Let's work on the things you put your, your hands to. That is the answer to the mental anguish, to the torment of soul that many people experience, is knowing the one who gives peace to the soul and the one that gives peace to the heart, and that's Jesus. Verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Do you know what the sign is? I don't either. I don't either. But he puts some kind of sign on him. And Cain here is reaping the, the consequences of his actions. You remember back at verses 6 and 7? Verses 6 and 7, it was grace. Verses 6 and 7, it was, man, do right, man. Come back. Return to me. I'll give you a new heart. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll restore your heart. Same thing he offers people today. But again, when they say no to that, when they say no to Christ, there's only one thing left, and that's judgment by, based on their own decisions of rejecting Christ. And the, the, um, the most tragic consequence of following man's way versus God's way is look at verse 16. One of the most tragic statements in all of the Bible, verse 16. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He went out from the presence of the Lord. Meaning that there was an opportunity there. There was an opportunity to be covered by grace. There was an opportunity to commune with the Lord. There was an opportunity to be under his umbrella. But verse 16 says, it says very clearly, went out from the presence of the Lord. When you follow man's way, it's a way of emptiness. It's, it's a way of being uh, void of God's presence. It's a way of, uh, instead of being filled with God's presence, being filled with our flesh. It's a place of mental anguish. It's a place of torment of soul. You know, um, the ultimate reason that you came into this world was to know God, was to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know the Creator, and to have a personal living relationship with Him. And if you live this life, if any individual lives this life and doesn't come to that knowledge, it's like, it's like up to bat, swing and a miss. You miss the whole reason of life. It's to know this God who loved you and sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could be in a, in a right relationship. But it says Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he was out in the land of wandering. He was out in no man's land. He was out in a place where his heart was so hard he couldn't hear anything else. He couldn't hear the voice of the Lord. And that, my friend, is a very, very dangerous place to be. But in as far as I'm concerned, for those loved ones that we witness to and we share the gospel with and we try to bring them into the kingdom, just keep on preaching it. Keep on witnessing. Keep on praying. And, and leave the results up to the Lord. And hopefully they open their heart and they listen. That's the way of Cain, verses 9 through 16. Again, that's tragic. And it's interesting in this passage of, of Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, as I was studying and preparing it, and I was in my mind, but when I began the week, I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on Abel. I'm just going to bring out all the things in Abel, because he's the champion of faith that Hebrews 11 and chapter talked to. But when you get to Hebrew, uh, Genesis chapter 4, the emphasis there, there's some good, solid nuggets and truth about Abel, but we see the thrust of the passage 
being a warning of not going the way of Cain. But when you follow God's way, Abel's path, this laid out for us in Scripture, this is a blessed life. This is a blessed life. This is a joyful heart. This is a person with a joyful heart. This means that uh, you've been forgiven of your sin, that you've uh, found your purpose and your meaning in life. You have peace of mind. That's part of becoming a Christian. And you live in his presence and not being away from God's presence, but being in his presence by being born again. I present to you this morning, which way are you going? There's only two ways according to the, this example in, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. You know, we, we make a decision. Am I going to serve Christ or am I not going to serve Christ? Am I going to rebel against the Lord or am I going to walk by faith? You make, a, you make a smart decision to say, you know what? I'm not going to rebel against you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my very best not to sin against you, but I'm going to build my faith up. I'm going to build my faith up in you. I'm going to build my confidence in you. And I'm going to serve you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anybody that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, rewarder of those who seek him. Let's endeavor to be that, guys. Let's endeavor to be that, moms. Let's en endeavor to be that, dads, students, young folks. Let's endeavor to be people of faith. And not walk in rebellion. And when we're tempted to walk in rebellion, just remember, that's the flesh. That's the carnal side. And be alert for that attack. And when that attack comes, say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to walk in faith. And I'm going to resist this temptation to walk in the flesh. Disregard the sacrifice versus trusting in the sacrifice. Again, the centerpiece of Christianity is the cross. I think I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I remember in 1992 when I first heard about Jesus dying on the cross to forgive me of my sins. It was beautiful, glorious, good news. I loved it. I cherished it. It just, oh, it just made me fall in love with the Lord. I loved him so much because he died on the cross. Well, guess what? Here we are, 92, 27-something um, years later, whatever, the, whatever it is, 2020, 28 years later, and the cross is still glorious good news. I still love to talk about that sacrifice. I still love to study and look at the cross. Look at those seven statements in the theological implications of the cross. To understand what the Old Testament said about blood having to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And then looking at what happened at the cross. That cross never becomes old news. It should never become like wallpaper where we just get used to hearing it but it should ring deep in our souls that we esteem the sacrifice and we don't disregard the sacrifice. And finally, the bottom line is our response. Our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our responsible, our, 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 how we respond to Christ is very, very important. And that response should be, Lord, you've done so much for me. You have been so good. You have forgiven me of everything. You've given me this new life. You've turned my life around. I want to give you my very best. That's what Abel did. He gave his very best. Cain didn't give God anything. Or at best, maybe he gave him what was left over. Let's endeavor in our lives. Let's you endeavor in your life to give God your very best. You know, ladies, 
be the best. Endeavor, seek the Lord, grow in your faith, and be that awesome, godly wife who loves her husband and submits to her husband. And, and men, let's endeavor to give our very best in being a godly man and loving our wives as Christ loved the church. You and I, guys, we're called to lay our lives down for our wives. That's loving your wife biblically, is that you're willing to lay your life down for your bride. That is part of, of um, giving God your very best in, in how you lay your life down for your wife, and you be that protector, and you be that one to, 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 um, to protect her and guard her and be there with her. And, and in everything, in, in our, this giving God your very best can apply to every area of life and serving him and being a witness, and we do it all by grace. You know, don't let it turn into legalism. In other words, don't let it turn into a bunch of religious do's and don'ts, but let it flow from a heart of faith. Let it flow from a heart of faith, just like it did with Abel, and not from a heart of flesh and carnality, as it did with Cain. Two ways. Do you see why, just closing, I hope that this sermon this morning, this teaching this morning, brought a whole new light to that one New Testament verse of Hebrews 11.4. Hebrews 11.4, you know, we could just read through it and just keep on going. I think next week we're looking at, at Enoch. It says he walked with God and boom, he was out of here. So we'll be looking at that next week. But do you see how, man, God's word is a treasure. God's word is a treasure that we, um, we study the verse and then we go back so that you and I as Christians can learn from these wonderful Old Testament saints. Let's follow the way of Abel, God's way. And let's not follow the way of Cain and man's way. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this uh, journey through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're looking at these saints of old, and Lord, we know that Hebrews 12.1 says that um, they're a great cloud of witnesses, and, and, and their lives teach us. Lord, I pray, Father God, for this morning that we learn from the life of Cain and Abel, and that we follow the godly principles of Abel, and we reject in our lives, the things that King did. And Lord, let, let us live out these principles in our everyday life. And Father, as we journey through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Lord, build our lives. Build our lives and let us come to that place as these Old Testament saints were. Let us come to a place of surrender. So Lord, let that be our heart cry as we study your word and we study these saints that we surrender our whole entire life to you. In Jesus' name I pray.